And I love it as we read in the book of Acts, it says that God continued to add to their number day by day. And in the midst of lockdown, in the midst of us not being able to meet, it's great that through some way, online, in the distance, we've managed to see families come and join us. And God, we say thank you. We say thank you and we're excited by it. All right. Good. So can you turn to Acts chapter 5, please? We, um, we continue in our, in our series this morning. And um, this morning we're going to look at one of the scarier events that you find in Scripture, one of the scary stories that I'm sure when you've read it, you've maybe put a little highlight at the start at the end and you put a little note, next time you get to this part, skip until you get to the next highlight part. Don't acknowledge this too much. You probably haven't meditated too much on this, probably haven't reflected on this too much. You might have checked your pulse after you read this passage and just <laughs> wondered what was going on. But we're going to read this morning about a couple named Ananias and Sapphira uh, here in Acts chapter 5. And we're going to see something that they did. And um, I think that God has something important he wants to say to us, the church, in this passage. All right. So I'm going to read it. It'll pop up on the screen. But let's read it together and let's open our hearts and allow God's word to uh, speak life into us as as he says it would. All right. So Acts chapter 5 verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his lust, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him, After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. The so much being the amount that the husband said that they've sold the land for and that he brought to them. She said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who've buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. If you want to check your pulse now and see that you're still alive, we can do that. But my faith today is that no one's going to drop dead. All right. Your initial thoughts after reading this passage is you might think, oh, God, God, you're you're so quick to anger. God, you are so lacking in grace. You lack mercy. God, you seem so vengeful. Do you have any thought like that when you read that story, trying to work out what's going on? This couple have come and lied in what they've brought, and they dropped down dead and are buried there and then. It seems quite dramatic. You might think, God, you're all these things. If if we think that at all, in any way, we're wrong. 
We're completely wrong. Because the Bible actually reveals God to be slow to anger. And God is, is full of grace. And he's full of mercy. And God is choosing to forgive. And so if that is God, there's something we need to understand out of the story. It's great to see that Luke, the writer in the book of Acts, he doesn't choose to cover up the story. He hears about it. He knows the event. But he says, I'm going to add it in. And so there's all this wonderful stuff happening in Acts. There's miracles and healings and community and provision and the gospel's going out and 3,000 saved and 5,000 saved and then a married couple drops down dead. You would think Luke could say, maybe we should leave that one out. Let's keep the glass half full, all right? But he doesn't. He says, in fact, God says that he'll ensure this story is captured in his holy word and that this story would be retold and read the generations to come in his words so that we would learn and apply something that God wants us to understand. That's what we're going to try and find this morning. So let's have a look at what the church has been doing and what the church has become in the past few weeks, what we've been reading from Acts chapter 1 all the way to Acts chapter 4. We see that the church is being led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come. He's filling men and women, leading them with boldness. They're doing wonderful, wonderful things. They're preaching the gospel. They're telling people about Jesus. They've seen numbers added daily to the church. At one moment, there were 3,000 added. The next moment, there's 5,000 added. As we read on, it says God added to their number daily. So the church is growing in size. There are miracles taking place. Recently, a crippled who was crippled from birth is jumping up and down, running around. They're praying and they're worshiping. That's what they're doing day to day. After they were persecuted, what do they do? They pray and they worship. There is a devotion amongst the people. We read that in Acts chapter 2, how they are devoted to the things of God and to his kingdom. And then we see how they care for one another. There is a care in this community. They love each other. They provide for each other. They look after each other. There's this wonderful picture that the church in Acts is developing into the church God calls them to be. And they are doing the things that God calls them to do. That's wonderful to see. But what we also see that when revival comes, and we see in revival right now in Jerusalem, when revival comes and the church is at its obedient place with God, and people are being obedient to God, there's this pushback. There's this attack from the enemy that will come back against the church to try and stop the church being who God's called us to be and do what God's called us to do. We see it throughout history. We see here in Acts, we see it throughout history when the church is, is trying to thrive and strive that the enemy will come and try and hold back the church from outside. It will attack to try and stop the church from what it's trying to do. There's the systems of this world that would go against God's way. There are governments, there are leaders who are trying to stop the church from being what she is called to be. There are cultures, there are communities, philosophies, ideologies, and various of beliefs. They would always try and squash the gospel of Jesus being spoken and, and, and brought to the whole of the world. And that's the, the devil trying to stop the church growing, stopping God's kingdom from advancing. There's an attack that we see here on this community from the outside. The religious leaders call in Peter and John and say to them, you are forbidden from preaching the name of Jesus again. Stop it. Don't do it. And we know how they respond. In prayer and worship they say, we know what we're commanded and called to do. We'll keep going despite the persecution, despite the opposition. What this means by their choice of obedience is the opposition will grow and it will increase and it will keep coming. So the devil is attacking from the outside, but here we see the devil's also going to attack from the inside. He's going to come within the church 
And what he does is he attacks each and every person, personally and individually. See, he knows you. And the devil knows me. He knows who we once were before Jesus. He knew of the sins that we fell for, the temptations that lured us. He knew the things that we would, would, would go after that drew us away from God. Now that we've come to knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he says, I still know what gets your attention. And I still know where your weakness lies. Even when the devil tempted Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, he goes after him. Three times he tempts Jesus. And three times Jesus overcomes the devil. It says, the devil says he would leave and come back at a more opportune time. He would try again. Now, if the devil is going to keep trying to tempt Jesus to fall, how much more will he try you and me? And that's what he says he'll do. He says he's going to come after us from the inside. The Bible says that even in our place of salvation, we see that temptation will still come. Sin will still try and cause us to fall and stumble. Paul writes in Romans how even our flesh will wage a battle in us. There's this turmoil within you and me that the flesh is going to try and pull us away from God. But the Holy Spirit who now lives in you and me, he's going to try and rescue us. He's going to remind us who we are. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are free. Now be free. Live in grace. Live in victory. Overcome it. It doesn't mean that the flesh is going to stop. One day... We'll be free of sin completely. But right now, you might be thinking you're a very bad Christian because you're like, why am I being tempted? Why am I struggling? Why does sin look attractive? Why? Because, well, your flesh is still here. But one day, we'll be glorified and our salvation will be made complete. But now, we battle on. And here, Ananias and Sapphira, they were attacked. There was a battle. And we need to see how they respond. We see that even as people struggle with their own sin, what happens when they come into the church, they could mislead and misdirect people as well. We see Paul writes about this in, in um, a lot of his New Testament letters. One of them in Galatians 1 verse 6, writing to the church in Galatia, he says this. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. The devil's going to come. He's going to attack the individuals. He's going to cause us to be misled. He's going to cause us to, to fall to our flesh, to our sin, to our pride. And what that could do is mislead people even by a contrary gospel being preached. Some are going to come and distort the gospel. And Paul says, if anyone preaches a gospel other than the true one that was given to us by Christ, let that person be accursed, even if it be an angel. John writes in a letter to the church as well in 1 John. He says, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are those who are going to be caught by sin. And they're going to come and try and mislead in the church. So attack on the church is going to come from the outside, from the systems of this world. But attack could also come from the inside, where the devil go after you and me. And we need to protect our hearts. We're going to read how now. Now in Acts we see this attack has come. And now we see that um, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they make a decision. They're making a decision. But their decision to lie has the potential to break this community that is growing so wonderfully. They've made a decision that allows the enemy to come into this church community that is so united. And it has the ability to destroy all the good that is currently happening. 
And so God makes his declaration over their choice. God declares how he feels about these actions and he pronounces his judgments whenever we choose to tolerate sin and allow it to come into his kingdom. God makes such a large pronouncement. What we see a chapter before, in Acts chapter 4, we see the generosity of the community. And one man's mentioned, his name's Joseph. Joseph who sells his land, brings in all this profit, and um, they see something in this man, that they name him Barnabas. He takes on this nickname, the son of encouragement. How wonderful is that for this man? And we see him throughout the book of Acts. This man is. He's the one who goes and fetches Paul, brings him to the disciples. He's the one who journeys with Paul. He really is a son of encouragement. But you can imagine that people, and in this case, Ananias and Sapphira, see what happens and they're like, we want that. We want to be acknowledged for bringing in wealth. We want some glory. We maybe even want our own names to be changed to some cool nickname too. And so they're desiring the self-glory. They, they, they're, they're gripped with sin. They're greedy for the money of the land that they own, but they're also greedy for the potential glory they could gain. So what they do is they come before the church and they lie. And they say, this is everything that we have. They wanted to seem super generous. They wanted to seem super sacrificial. They wanted to be like Barnabas, perhaps, in some way. They were greedy for the money. They were greedy for the glory. They wanted their supposed good works to be acknowledged by the men and women around them. Have you ever wanted that? I tell you what, I know how we can test that. Because I know, I've fell for this many times. You do something that's really good, and when no one notices, check how you feel. <laughs> I know when I've done stuff in this place, and no one notices, and I could grumble and be like, all I needed was a thank you. Can't somebody just say, well done, Greg? Well, why, Greg, for your pride? For your glory? For your namesake? It shouldn't be the case. If nobody knew, and I said, Lord, this was for you, that is enough. Check your heart the next time you're wondering, why has nobody said thank you? Why has nobody put my name somewhere? Why am I not in the email? Because I contributed X amount of money for this venue and for this and this and this. Why has nobody said my name? Check your heart. Because Ananias and Sapphira had to check theirs in this moment. There's a self-glory that we battle with. And in fact, we even notice it in Jesus with the, the religious leaders, with the Sanhedrin, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees. Jesus says to them, you guys are a bunch of whitewashed tombs. It means you look all beautiful on the outside, all white and wonderful. But inside, all you are is dead. You're death inside. You're putting on a facade. You're a bunch of hypocrites. Look what he says in Matthew 6. Verse 1 to 4, speaking about this practice. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's really good. Don't, don't try and display your goodness. Don't try and build your own name. Don't try and declare your own goodness before people. God says if you do so, you will forfeit the reward that God actually has for you. But rather, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So Peter, he discerns that Ananias and Sapphira are lying. He sees it. 
And notice, he doesn't take offense that they lied to him. They said, no, 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 what you've done is you've lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. Whenever we sin, we sin first and foremost to God. Our sin hurts other people, but it's always first sin against God. And he says, you've, you've sinned against God. The assumption is, and I would believe that Ananias and Sapphira were saved. They believed in Jesus. That there might have been some of those who were saved with the 5,000 or 3,000. But this was a small minority in Jerusalem at this moment who were under persecution. It made no sense for this couple, if they didn't believe in Jesus, to go and sell all their stuff and to bring it. But even having Christ, having the Holy Spirit within them, they chose to ignore and neglect and reject the Holy Spirit living inside of them. They chose to, to grieve him in order for greed. They chose to abandon him in order for their own name. And so they've lied to the Holy Spirit. They've lied to God. And Peter says, why have you done this? Peter says to them, you've allowed Satan into your heart. And then he says, you've contrived this, which means you've deliberately chosen this yourself. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't you were walking along and you just stumbled upon sin. It didn't just happen. No, no, you planned this. You chatted about it. You looked at what this could look like and you made a decision. You've chosen, deliberately chosen this deed. They were tempted with sin and they entertained that temptation and they opened their hearts to the devil's lure. The problem is when you bring that into the church, it has the potential to break unity, to destroy community. And here they were coming into what God was building with um, a hypocritical heart, with a desire for self-glory that could easily be caught by the person next to you and the person next to you and the person next to you. God warns us against sin. He warns us of how sin will come against you and me. Um, look, look at what God says in, in, in Genesis chapter 4. Speaking to Cain, the moment before Cain's about to kill his brother Abel, God says this to him. Genesis 4 verse 5. So Cain was very angry, his face fell. But the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Now listen to this. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Sin's crouching at our door. And its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. There's the ability for you and me to rule over sin, but here's the warning. Sin will crouch at our door. James chapter 1, verse 12 to 15. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Listen to this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Look at that. Each person is tempted when. It means temptation will come. But we will be tempted when we are lured and when we're enticed by the very own desires that are inside of us, that flesh that's trying to fight back. And then it says, if you give in to that, you give in to sin, sin gives forth to death. And then Ephesians 4 verse 27, Paul writes this and he says, do not give the devil a foothold. So here's what happens, right? Even as we know Jesus, even as we are saved, it still says that temptation will come and try and forfeit us from the good God's got for us. But it comes in these forms of blind spots. There's this 
these blind spots that will come around us. And all of a sudden, there's this temptation that will come around you and me. All of a sudden, the things that perhaps would lure us before will all of a sudden appear again. You would think, I overcame this long ago. Why, why is it back? Why is this temptation coming back? Well, it says there to Cain, sin's crouching at the door. It's there. But here's what happens. Is that sin will knock and say, why don't you just entertain me a little bit? Why don't you just open the door and have a look what it looks like? Look at what this temptation looks like. Give it just a moment. Just give it a glimpse. Give it a little opportunity again. But you know what happens then is if you open that door, you know what you open up to? A foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. Imagine as you try and close the door, he just puts his foot in the door. It's like, ah, it's open. And the moment the devil gets a foothold into your heart, that will turn very quickly into a stronghold. And all of a sudden, you find yourself giving into sin all over again. All of a sudden, you find yourself a slave to sin again. And the battles you, 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 you found victory in through Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, you're giving in again. And now you're caught with guilt and you're caught with condemnation. And you find yourself saying, Lord, Surely I've lost my salvation because I'm caught back again in sin. And God would say to you, you've entertained it. Why did you allow the temptation to get your attention? Why did you listen to the knock? Why did you open the door? Why did you give it a foothold? Because a foothold leads to a stronghold and a stronghold leads to death. And this is the warning God is giving to us when we see sin coming around us. That death, I believe, can happen in in, in different ways for different people. For those, of the, for those people who do not know Jesus, who do not have his grace or his forgiveness, and you are entertaining and allowing sin to grip your heart, when you allow the devil in, you will suffer from an eternal death. You will never, ever have the chance of being with God because that sin was never, ever fought for. It was never removed. It was never overcome. And those chains that we sang about being broken, you've not allowed Jesus to break them. And the death that you have would be enchained forever. But for some... And for some of us who, who know Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we give in to sin, we might even face a physical death, like Ananias and Sapphira here in the story. They faced a physical death in that moment. God judged them and said, because you've entertained sin, because you've allowed Satan into your heart, because you've done this, the consequence here is a physical death. That's the consequence. But for a lot of us, and this would be for the majority of us, the death as well that we would face is that we give up and forfeit all the good that God has got for you and me. See, God says, I have good works planned for you. I've got an inheritance that I long to give to you. But when you and I allow that temptation to grab a foothold, to become a stronghold, to become sin in our hearts, to equal death, we forfeit the inheritance, the good, the wonderful things God has got for you and for me. And if that grips one of us, and it grips two of us, and five of us, and ten of us, it grips the whole church. And the very thing the church is called to be is given up. Why? Because we allow sin in. Because we entertain sin to come into our hearts like Ananias and like Sapphira. Look at the prodigal son. The prodigal son said to his father, give me all my inheritance. I want to go off and sin. He chose sin. And when he comes back to the father, the father welcomes him back. But he's still lost all his inheritance. His inheritance is gone. He remains a son. He remained part of God's kingdom. He remained belonging to the father. But he forfeited something. God would say to you and me, when we entertain sin in our lives, there's something of death that will come in. It's either an eternal death from Jesus, it's a physical death that would hurt us because of the sin is so hurtful, or it will be us forfeiting, giving up on the wonderful good inheritance God has got for you and me. We see Paul warns us against this in Romans. He says, sin wants to rob you of what God's got for you. Sin cannot take you away from Jesus. Sin cannot take away your identity as son and daughter. But sin can still break the good that God's got for you. That's the warning. In God's kingdom, there is no place 
for self-righteousness. There's no place for hypocrisy. There's no place in God's kingdom that you and I would tolerate sin at all. There's no place for us to build our own name, to seek our own glory. All the sins of self need to be addressed. Self-righteousness, that's a sin. Self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love. All of those, the common denominator of self, are trying to build ourselves up and focus all of our glory on ourselves. We're trying to build our own names. God says, those are sins that will draw you away from me. Those are sins that will turn you into a hypocrite like Ananias and Sapphira and they will rob you of what God has got for you. And God says, he declares, this is not permitted in his kingdom. We see God deals with this already when he deals with uh, Satan himself who once been the angel Lucifer longed to have the same glory he sees God has. And God says, You can't have that glory here. And even Lucifer manages to convince a third of the angels then to believe. Can you see how they broke, how he broke that unity, how he broke that community, even amongst the angels, that a third of the angels would choose to go against God and follow an angel who's trying to build his own glory? And God says, there's a death and a judgment upon you. With this occasion, with Ananias and Sapphira, God says, I'm gonna reveal my judgment. He pronounces his, his hate towards hypocrisy, his hate towards the tolerance of sin, and his judgment is revealed. This is his first appearance of this sin in this community, and God deals with it publicly. He makes it written in his word so that you and I can see God's feelings towards anything of that sort. God doesn't become more tolerant of us. God says, this is my judgment towards self-glory, towards hypocrisy, towards building your name, towards tolerating sin. So the question we might ask then is, well, what about us then? Why hasn't God made us drop down dead? Have you thought of that? Why, why when I've come before God knowing I've got sin or I've lied to God or perhaps I'm coming before God with some hypocrisy, why, God, do I still stand and breathe? Why didn't you judge me the same way you did with Ananias and Sapphira? Well, I don't know (laughs) because God is the judge. God's the one who determines and decides. Here's what I do know, though. I do know that God gives all of us opportunities to repent over and over again. Ananias and Sapphira had a chance to own up, to reveal their lie, to reveal their sin. They chose not to. They chose to lie to God and the Holy Spirit. You and I, God says, I'm giving you opportunity to repent. Ask forgiveness. Reveal your sin. Shine light in that dark place. Let's sort it out so that whatever's trying to rob you and steal from you and cause death in your life will not have any victory at all. God gives us that opportunity. But also know this. If God doesn't judge you and me now, we will be judged somewhere down the line. Perhaps on this earth, perhaps our judgment will be known one day in the new heaven and new earth. When we're there and God says, you lived with an hypocritical heart. You allowed sin to grip you. And all of this that I had for you as a reward is gone because of the sin you chose on this earth for those few years that you were there. And our hearts will hurt back then. One day then, God still feels the same. Here's the warning. Church, see the severity of sin. Don't ever get to a place where we think we're mature enough as Christians to handle sin in our hands. Never, never, The maturity towards sin is that we see it for what it is. We acknowledge when it comes, when those blind spots appear, when temptation lures, when that knock is at your door, as sin crouches. 
The maturity is not being able to open the door and saying, I know who you are, I don't want you here. The maturity is saying, door, you stay shut. I'm not entertaining you at all. Because I know that a foothold becomes a stronghold and I know sin leads to death and I will not allow you in. Matthew 26 verse 41, Jesus says this, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What must we do? Watch and pray. What's the first word? Watch. Watch. Watch as sin is trying to lure you. Watch as the devil is trying to uh, uh, cause you to fall and to stumble. Watch as this, this, this sin that always looks so satisfying is going to try and lure you to open up that door of your heart to allow Satan in. Do not give in, church. Do not allow the devil into your heart at all. Watch and pray. Be like Joseph when Potiphar's wife came. He didn't say to Potiphar's wife, sit down, lady, let me explain to you what's wrong here. He didn't. He threw his cloak, he ran, and he gapped sin completely. He said, I'm not even going to entertain you. That is maturity. But the warning is, when we say, I'm mature enough to watch something on TV that once I couldn't, no, you still can't. It's still going to cause a foothold. Don't ever allow anything to grip your heart that is of sin. And what's good to know is that Peter says, Paul says, Jesus says we can overcome this because of the spirit living inside of us. But who will you submit to? Will you submit to your flesh or will you submit to the Holy Spirit who reigns inside of you? Let him reign, let him rule. So Ananias and Sapphira, they could have caused such disunity and such break in this community as they desired all of these things. They were desiring their good works. And you and I, we need to ask the question, do we desire good works or would we choose to bow our knee in humility before the throne of Jesus Christ? Now here's what's sad. It's sad as we look at the history of the church grow on from that moment, we start to see that more men and women do open their hearts to sin. And we start to see a false gospel creeps in. And we start to see that lies start to come in. We start to see wolves coming within the church. We start to see the heretics who come and cause the church to stumble and fall. We start to see men and women start to promote their own names. That Paul says, who's Apollos? Who's Peter? Who's Paul? None of us mean anything. It's Jesus. He's the one who's to be glorified. But you see how it creeps in so easily. The warning church for us is that there's an attack that will come upon the church when we keep doing what God's called us to. I believe God is commissioning us, church, to be everything He's called us to be. He's calling us to obedience. He's calling us to preach His Word. He's calling us to be led by the Spirit. He's calling us to love community. He's calling us to preach the Gospel. He's calling us to pray for the sick and we see them healed. He's calling us to hold dearly to the devotions that He says we ought to be held on to. But here's the warning. Attack will come. From the outside, yes. Governments will tell us to stop. Not I'm not saying our government is, is the enemy. Please don't hear that. But you know that systems, the government, the ways of the world, cultures, beliefs, will tell us that we're wrong, that we're foolish, and will cause us to stop. But then even within our own midst, church, be cautious that the devil will come for your own heart too. And he'll try and cause disunity. And he'll try and stall the kingdom of God advancing by breaking it from the inside right here. And what we need to say is, Lord, we will not. We will not. When we see it come, we will remain mature. When we see it come, Lord, we choose you, Jesus. But if we respond like Ananias and Sapphira, judgment will come because sin leads to death. Look at this in 1 John 1 verse 9. This is such a wonderful promise that I want to leave with us this morning. In 1 John 1, Paul says this, If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. I love this because it's a promise. God says, I know temptation will come. My son, my daughter, I know you'll be lured. I know sin's gonna knock at your door and I know you'll open it sometimes. And I know sometimes it'll become this foothold, but I know sometimes it's gonna be a stronghold and I know sometimes you're gonna get stuck. But God says this, if you confess your sins to him, he's faithful to forgive. Why? Because the blood of Jesus still reigns inside you and me. And even sin cannot take us and cannot rob us away from our father. Even our own sins cannot do that. God says this morning, ask of forgiveness and he will forgive. Declare it. And I want to encourage you, pronounce them in detail. Don't just say, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me. No, call it out. Take that holy spotlight of God and shine it in the dark place of your heart and say, you are not welcome anymore. You're not welcome anymore. You need to go. And as much as you look enticing and luring, you're going to lead to my death. And you're going to steal all the good that God's got for me. You're going to take away my inheritance. You need to go. And God says, he's faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not a one-off prayer, that. That is a continual prayer. Confess your sins, plural. God is saying, come before me. Come before me. He is the one who brought our victory. He is the one who broke those chains that we sang about this morning. He's the one who's caused us to run out that grave into life. It's because of Jesus. So when sin comes again, don't be mature. And don't try and say, Lord, I can handle this. And no, you cannot. Go to Jesus. Bow your knees and say, Lord, I sing and I worship your name. I think by singing this morning with Tian leading us and the band leading us in that song this morning, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. That is how you overcome sin. Why? Because you sang in the name of Jesus. You didn't sing your name at all. He said, Jesus, it's you that I'm free. It's you that I have victory. Ananias and Sapphira got caught up in their own names. Church, let's not get caught up in our names. Instead, let's choose to trust God with all of our hearts. Let's choose to be led by the Holy Spirit and not our own flesh. Let's fight for unity. Let's fight for obedience. Let's see God glorified. And church, let's take a hold of all the inheritance God's got for you and you and you and you and me and for us as a church and for the church worldwide. Let's take a hold of all that God's got got for us. Can I pray for us? Would you mind standing? The prayer needs to be your prayer. And the prayer needs to be on the lines of where you're reflecting in your heart. Now, I must tell you, it's hard to preach this preach. Because I have to check my heart and say, Greg, if you're a hypocrite preaching this, you're in trouble. (laughs) And so for me this whole week, knowing, preaching on Ananias and Sapphira, I've had to check my heart constantly. I've had to go before God and say, Lord, you're good and you're merciful and you're gracious. And Lord, this is your good, sovereign word, Lord. Your word is mighty. And Lord, let, let it be heard. And my feeling this morning for us as a church is that God is saying he's building his church beautifully and wonderfully. The bride is growing. The church is advancing. The kingdom of God is moving. But church, be warned. Attack will come. Attack will come from outside and attack can come from within. So check your hearts and surrender them to Christ and not to the flesh. Be aware of temptation that will come. Be aware the devil will come and prowl like a lion after you and me. But he who is in us is far greater than he who is in this world. I want to encourage you this morning. You decide how will you tolerate sin in your life. When temptation comes, how will you handle it? Will you shut that door? And here's the warning. If you open it, there's a big warning. 
A big warning. Death comes in many, many ways. Judgment comes in many, many ways. And destruction can come. God says, don't allow that in. God, God told us this morning how he feels. He says, I pray for you. You settle in your heart.